We haven't had our sonic boom yet this morning, but uh, so if it comes during the message, I hope it's well-timed. We'll see. A couple of weeks ago, when my wife was here last, I forgot to introduce her. So I will introduce her now. This is my wife, Lydia. Lydia, stand up. Wave. She makes me what I am today. She's my better half and uh, has been a great partner all these years. We've been married 47 years. Yes, 47 years. So that, that's pretty good, pretty good. We often tell people if we can make it that long, anybody can. So, so I'm glad she's here today. Turn with me to John chapter 17. This is our third and final message from the high priestly prayer of Jesus, which comes at the end of what's called the upper room discourse in the Gospel of John, which is just before a discussion of what took place the night before Jesus was crucified. So this is Thursday evening of of Holy Week. Jesus has been teaching the disciples, and now he's praying for them. But before I read the passage, I would like for us to spend a little time in prayer as well, Uh, and not simply a prayer for this message, but uh, for prayer that uh, involves the congregation more as a whole, as well as others, and then we'll turn our attention to God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow before you in humility and submission with thanksgiving, not only for what you have done for us in so many, many ways, but simply in worship of who you are, in devotion to who you are. How great indeed is our God. Father, we thank you for the way that you have used us in these shoeboxes. We thank you for your provision to us so that these shoeboxes can be a blessing to others, to children around the world. We thank you for that. And Father, we thank you for the work that you are doing in each of our lives by your Holy Spirit as we seek to exalt Jesus as our Lord, as Savior, as God. Father, and yet we know that there are people in our country who are grieving over the recent election. And people we know, Lord, we know that there are people in our country who are rejoicing inappropriately over the election. Father, we would pray that the outcome of this election would serve your glory. And Father, that that in whichever 
way we may have voted. We would now turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his marvelous face that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, we think also of Liz and the loss of her grandfather. Father, we pray that you would comfort her, that you would strengthen her and her family and the loss of this dear one, and that you would encourage them, encourage them in their walk with you. Father, we thank you that you encourage each one of us according to our need. We have spiritual needs. We have emotional needs, relational needs, economic needs, physical needs. And Father, we know that you meet us in our needs according to your will for your glory. Father, give us peace. We know that Jesus has told us the things of Scripture, that in him we can have peace. In this world we know we will have trouble, but we can take heart because Jesus has overcome this world. And Father, we know even from the songs that we've sung this morning already in worship, a glorious time of worship, that we anticipate his return. It is well with my soul. Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Lord, haste that day. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, we look forward to when you will return and make everything right. What a glorious day that will be. In the meantime, Lord, may we walk according to your will. As we turn our attention to this passage, may your spirit teach us and guide us in how best to apply it to our own lives. And Lord, through it all, may Jesus and Jesus alone be glorified in us and through us. Thank you, Father, we pray in his name. Amen. John chapter 17, verses 20 through the end of the chapter, verse 26. Jesus continues his prayer, and it goes like this. My prayer is not for them alone, speaking of his present disciples and those who are disciples even today, but he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, believers yet to exercise faith, believers in the future. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, 
the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory that you have given me before, because you loved me before the creation of the world. I repeated that part. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is a marvelous passage. Jesus is praying here, obviously, for the unity of the body, the unity of the body of Christ, the unity of the church universal, the unity of the church from the first century until now and even into the future, as long as he tarries in his return. And we saw last week, or two weeks ago actually, as we looked at the middle part of this prayer, that he's praying for our protection and our sanctification. Sanctification really has to do with our transformation, that we might become more like him, that we might be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So, so here, unity is being presented in the context of our transformation. Now, what are some of the characteristics of transformation? We can think of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, as we are transformed into the likeness of Christ, the Spirit works in our lives to produce love, joy, peace, of which Jesus spoke earlier. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The Spirit is at work, and, and those are evidences of transformation, that Jesus is changing us into his likeness. You know, and, and when we think about transformation, <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot in entertainment uh, over the last 20, 30 years. I mean, the Avengers. I mean, these are all superheroes that transform from normal human beings into, into these super powerful, superhuman, uh, what do we call them? Superheroes. Superheroes, they transform from normal humanity to superheroes. Uh, or the, the films that related to transformers, the trucks that would transform into these uh, huge military types of agents that could wreak devastation and fight cosmic wars. Transformer trucks and cars. And, and so we understand this concept of transformation just from the toys we've bought our kids and some of the films that we may have seen. But you know what? That doesn't compare at all with the transformed life of Jesus. Because all of that is fiction. Transforming into a superhero is fiction. The transformation of a vehicle into a military machine is fiction. But this is not fiction. This is reality. Taking sinful human beings, wayward from God, and making us like Jesus. This is amazing. And in this passage, in this passage, we see the transforming work of Christ specifically evidenced in what? In our unity within the body. And that's a pretty miraculous thing for some of us. Pretty miraculous thing, 
this idea of unity within the body of Christ. And I believe that Christians should pursue unity as a key characteristic of our transformation. We need to pursue that unity as a key characteristic of transformation. Now, we're still in the context of Christ's glory. This whole prayer is bound up with the glory of Christ, going all the way back to verses 1 through 5, and then again verses 6 through 19. Uh, He's praying here for all believers, as well as those who are yet to believe. Verse 20 makes that clear. Those who will believe in me through the message of those of us who are here now. And, And his glory is going to be manifest through his continuing work in us and through us. Protection, sanctification, that we might experience joy, that we might experience peace, peace being mentioned in chapter 16, verse 33, and joy being mentioned uh, in the previous passage as, as well. But unity is what he's concerned with here. It's already been introduced in verse 11 of this chapter. Verse 11, he first mentions, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. That's verse 11. He's now going to pick up on that reference and expand it in the verses that we have before us this morning. This is the capstone of Jesus' prayer for his followers, and it revolves around aspects of unity. We're going to look at three. Three aspects of the believer's unity, Christian unity, based upon this prayer. First, first, what's our experience of unity? How do we experience unity? Well, verses 21 through 23 refer to this. Let me read that again. Verses 21 through 23. It says this. He says, he prays for us that all of them, verse 21, all of them may be one, unity. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as, you, as we are one, I in them and you in me. He's repeating himself. This is for emphasis. This is good education. Teachers repeat themselves for emphasis. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The experience of unity is bound up with the unity that the Godhead has within itself. The unity of the Godhead, the Father in Jesus, the Holy Spirit binding Jesus and the Father together. This unity within the Godhead is actually the same kind of unity that we can experience as believers. Now, let's define unity. It's very important to define it. Unity is a condition of harmony or accord. But it's not the same as union which is a legal or organizational kind of uh, activity or relationship. And it's not the same as unanimity, where everybody agrees on everything the same. Unity has to do with harmony and accord around a particular issue, a particular reality, but it doesn't have to do with legal organizational union 
or with unanimity where everybody agrees on everything. So we need to get that definition straight at the beginning. And the experience that we have of unity is the same as the father-son relationship for Jesus and the Father. He says that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Well, that, that's amazing. That's amazing, this experience of unity. And, and then he says, and I in them, and them in us. Our relationship, experience of unity, is kind of reciprocal with the Godhead. Now, we can't explain this. We don't know how this works. But the unity that we have among ourselves is, is reciprocally related, tantamount to the fact that we have a right relationship with God. There's a dead spot here, I think. <laughs> I'll stay on this side. Sorry, people. Do you see the analogy that he is making is a very real analogy, even though we can't really appreciate it or understand it. Our experience of unity is very similar to the experience that the Godhead has within itself. Isn't that amazing? That is truly amazing. And part of that, he says, that they may be one, may they also be in us. This is continuing in verse in verse 21, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one. It's not just the fact that we are somehow in the Godhead. It's the fact that Jesus gives us his glory. Do you see that in verse 22? He shares his glory. With, he, we've been talking about this glory of Jesus and how wonderful and magnificent that is. But this is truly amazing. He shares his glory with us. That's what it says in verse 22. My glory, I give them my glory. The same glory that you gave me. In other words, the Father gave Jesus glory, and now Jesus is giving us that glory. Let me ask you a question. Do you see his glory in you? Now, I would hope, as a believer, you would see how Jesus is at work in you. You would see the Holy Spirit in you. But do you understand that that's tantamount to the glory of Christ in you? We are glorious ones in Jesus. The glory of Jesus, it's in us. Because we are in the Godhead even as Jesus is in us and the Father is in Jesus. This is, that's the experience that we have and it leads to unity. That's the experience of unity that we have. Jesus' glory and a relationship with the Godhead. Jesus in us, the Father in Jesus, the Father in us. Verse 23, it goes on very clearly. I in them and you in me. And Jesus and the Father in us, along with glory. Here's the truth of this first aspect of unity, the experience of unity. Our experience of unity is like that of the Godhead. That's what Jesus is praying for, that our experience of unity would be like that of the Godhead. Now, this is a reality, whether we believe it or not, Okay, this is a reality whether we believe it 
or not. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 makes this clear when Paul says, Paul says very clearly to us that to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, the peace that Jesus gives. The peace that Jesus gives. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit at work, in the bond of peace. In other words, we already have this unity. We already have it. The question is, are we working to maintain it? Do we see it? Do we apply it? Do we experience it as we ought? And that takes effort. That takes practice. You see, we are, by definition, united in Christ by the Holy Spirit. But this is a spiritual unity. It's not organizational. It's a spiritual unity. The unity of the Spirit, not the unity of the organization. Not the unity of the platform. It's the unity of the Holy Spirit in Christ. It's not an organizational kind of unity. Music, songs, are a very important part of Christian history. We sing every Sunday. We probably sing throughout the week. I don't know about you, but I do. I sing throughout the week. Maybe some of you only sing in the shower, and then your husband or wife tells you to quit. But, but music is very important to Christianity. Think about music. Harmony in music, often four parts, if you've got four parts available. You know, that you have your soprano, you have your alto, you, you have your uh, tenor, and you have your bass. Four parts. But when they blend, they're unified even though they're singing different notes. Or think, too, of when there's a descant. Some might actually be singing different words. Or when you sing a round, people are singing different words. So there might be different words in music, there might be different notes in music, but the beauty of it all coming together in unity is because they're singing the same song in the same key. And that's what it's like for us. We're singing the same song, the glory of Jesus, in the same key, in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we may have different parts. We may use different words. Because it's a spiritual unity. It's not organizational. And it's, and it's not a legal kind of unity. Think of an orchestra with many sections. Many sections playing many different notes. And yet the beauty of an orchestra with many different instruments playing many different parts, but it all comes together in beauty, in harmony, because they're singing the same song, in this, or playing the same song in the same key. That's what our experience of unity is to be like as we are in Christ and his glory is in us. Well, second... The second aspect of Christian unity is what is to be the impact of this. If that's our experience of it, this spiritual unity that we have in Christ, what's the impact of that? Well, it's pretty clear in the verses that I've already read. As we look at the end of verse 21 and the end of verse 23, the end of verse 21 says that the impact of unity so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Very important, so that. When you see 
in Scripture, the little words that or so that, that's indicating purpose or result. What's the purpose of Jesus' prayer? That, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then in verse 23 again, to complete unity, so that to let the world know, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Again, the impact of unity interwoven with our experience is so that the world may believe that the Father sent Jesus. So that the world may believe that the Father sent Jesus. Twice in this passage it says that. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That he's the Messiah. That he's the Messiah. He is God. He is Lord. He is Savior. So that the world may believe. And, secondly, that the Father loves us, the end of verse 23, just as he loves Jesus. That we are a special people. That we are a special people. Believers in Christ are special to God. Now, he loves the whole world. Don't get me wrong. He loves everybody. But our relationship with the Father is unique because we are in Christ. Because we are in Christ, our relationship with God is unique. The impact of unity, our unity in Christ, is evidence that the church has a unique relationship with God. That Jesus is who he claimed to be, And that because of that, we have a unique relationship with God. No other religion in the world can claim this. No other religion in the world can claim this reality. And it is demonstrated by our unity. Demonstrated by our unity. You see, the the impact of our unity is its testimony to the world. Francis Schaeffer, who was the founder of Labrie in Switzerland, some of you may have heard of Labrie in Switzerland, Years ago, Francis Schaeffer said, this is the ultimate apologetic. This is the ultimate rationale for people believing in Jesus. That our unity displays the reality of salvation in our lives. That our unity as believers displays, demonstrates that Jesus really is who he claims to be. Our unity. The impact of that is its testimony to the world. And in fact, that's basically what all of our ministry is about. You see, our ministry, we, and we may have many ministries, uh, but Christians, ultimately, we hope that the ministries that we have, whether they be fellowship ministries, children's ministries, small group ministries, whatever the ministries may be that we have, evangelistic ministries, all of them come together to somehow reach people for Jesus Christ. To somehow show people who Jesus truly is. With the hope that they will accept Him for who He really is. Lord, Savior, and God. That's what our ministry is all about. Because the impact of our unity, the impact of Christ's work in our life, is to reach people for Him. Populating heaven. More and more people coming into this relationship. The church is not called, and I'm thinking capital C here, ultimately speaking, the church is not called to make political change. Now, that may be a side effect of our ministry. Ultimately, the church is not called to make social change. 
We are not called to make people happy. We are not called to make people comfortable. We are not called to help people get rich. We are called to help people come to Christ. That's what we're called to do. All of the rest, though it may happen as a byproduct of reaching people for Christ, and in fact we hope it will, as we reach more and more people for Christ, things will change. But the purpose of the church is not simply political or social or comfort or economic. The purpose of the church is to reach people for Christ. And that's what this passage is all about. So that they may believe, the world, unbelievers, so that they may believe that you have sent me, that Jesus is who he says he is, and that you have loved them, us, even as you have loved me. We are a unique people, and our unity displays that, that we really are the beloved of God, just as Jesus is the beloved of God. That's the impact of unity. That's our purpose as believers, ultimately speaking. But we need to move on to the third aspect. If the first aspect is that our experience of unity is like that of the Godhead, and the second aspect of unity is that its impact is its testimony to the world on behalf of Christ, then the third aspect has to do with, well, what's the root of this? What is the root of this? What is the root of unity? We read this in verses 24 through 26. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. Do you see the connection there? Previously, he prayed that the world might know. Here he says, we do know. And that they may know that you have sent me. They do know it. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Again, this passage is, is supernatural. It's, it's full of what we would call mystical Christianity. This is mystical Christianity. We can't nail it down in physical terms or temporal terms. It's the way God works with us. It's a section about being with Jesus where he is. He's in the heavenlies. It's a section about appreciating the love that God has for him in us. It's about knowing him, not just cognitively, intellectually, but knowing him experientially, relationally, seeing his glory, the glory that he gives to us as we seek to glorify him, being in Christ and Christ in us. This is, this is what we call the spooky side of Christianity. But it's real. And for those who have experienced this, we know it's real. We know it is real because it says very clearly here, I know you and they know that you have sent me. In other words, we get it. We get it. You see, the root of unity 
is an abiding relationship with Christ. That's the root. That's the source of our unity, is an abiding relationship with Christ. Now, he's referred to this previously in the earlier verses when he talks about the Father in him and him in us and us in them and so on. But if the root of unity is an abiding relationship with Christ, then the question becomes, what are we doing to strengthen that in our own lives? What are we doing to strengthen our relationship with Christ in our own lives? Personal devotions, daily. We know that that's important up here. But do we experientially realize, make real in our own lives, that that's how we draw closer and closer and closer to Christ, and because of that, closer and closer and closer to each other? You see how that works? Daily devotions, collective worship, collective worship, collective worship. People were literally struggling spiritually when we couldn't have worship together. Many still are. They're still at their homes. They're still watching online. And that's second best. Better than nothing. You want to worship even if it's in your own home and online. But there's something unique about being together with other believers on the Lord's Day, singing hymns, praying together, hearing God's Word, fellowshipping with God and with each other. There is something unique, special about being here. People, this is where we live. This is where we truly come alive when we are worshiping together in unity in Christ. And being able to come back together after having been apart for so long is a blessed experience. This is a blessed experience. And it grounds us in our relationship with Christ and because of that in our relationship with each other in unity. How important fellowship. How important is worship. How important is fellowship throughout the world. Just having opportunities to, to fellowship together, to gather together uh, in groups of two or three or four, pray together, share our burdens with one another. Koinonia, we've heard the term often, we simply translate it fellowship. But what it really means is the sharing of life in Christ. It doesn't happen just on Sunday. It ought to be happening two, three times during the week as we have opportunities to spend time with other believers the sharing of life, our lives, in Christ. That is crucial to an abiding relationship with Jesus himself. And that's crucial to our experience and impact of unity. Now, you can see then through these illustrations that I've given that, that this unity is not rooted in organizational structures. Let me give you a couple of examples. Unity is, re- is rooted in our abiding relationship with Christ, not organizational structures. When other believers come to our fellowship, we don't try to say, you must become a member of our church in order to have unity with us. Do we say that? Of course not. Because that would be requiring organizational unity. Uh, Do we say that you have to agree with every point of doctrine in our doctrinal statement before 
we can have fellowship with you. No, we don't say that. That would be a legal kind of unity. We simply want to know, do you know Jesus? Have you experienced new life in Christ? Are you seeking to glorify Jesus? If so, let's fellowship together in unity because that's the root of unity. Not our organizational structures. Now, don't get me wrong. Churches need to be organized. We, we need to have leaders, recognized leaders. We need to have some structures so that we can be most efficient and most effective in our ministries, okay? I'm not saying that we shouldn't be organized because organization can make us efficient and effective and effective in our ministries for Christ. But that's not the basis of our unity. That's not the basis. Any more than me being a member of a political party means that I have unity with everybody in that political party. I don't. A lot of people in my political party I would never have unity with, never really feel comfortable having unity with. That's probably true whatever, whichever party you're involved with. Or, or let's say you're in a trade union, a trade union. You may get benefits from that. Trade unions are very good for providing benefits for their, for their members. But that doesn't mean you have spiritual unity with those union members. The purpose is different. The values may be different. This is spiritual unity in Christ. It's the deepest kind of unity that human beings can experience because it's a unity not only with each other, but it's rooted in our unity with God in Christ. Now, if the root of unity is indeed an abiding relationship with Christ, we should be pursuing that relationship with Christ, and our unity will grow. It's experiencing the love of the Father and the life of Christ in our relationship with Him and each other. So, the focus then of our ministry is to help people come closer to Christ to help people grow in Christ. If they don't know him, to help them exercise faith in Christ. That's the focus of our ministry, right? Picking up on the previous point. The focus of our ministry is to bring people to Christ and help them to grow in him so that they would experience his work in their lives and glorify him and experience his glory. I would, I would suggest to you that as you leave today, take a look at the church the church motto, the church mission statement as you leave. Do you remember the church mission statement? Anybody here just remember it off the top of your head? No? Okay, it's, it's actually pretty easy. It's actually pretty easy. We are called to help people, we are called to help people to know and experience the real and living God. That's us, and that's a perfect purpose for us to have in light, of this passage, in light of this passage. We are called to help people know and experience, not just intellectual, but experientially to know and experience the real and living God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we're all about, because that's the root of unity. Learn that mission statement because that's what we're all about. And that provides unity. That is the root of unity. 
Here's my question, and then we conclude. At the end of verse, at the end of verse 26, we read these words. I'll read all of 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus' close of his prayer is that the love of the Father may be in us and that Jesus himself may be in us. Do others see Jesus in us? In the first point I asked if you his glory in you. Do you see his glory in you? Now the question is, do others see Jesus in us? Because that's the root of unity. And that helps people know that Jesus is indeed sent by God and that God the Father truly does love us even as he's loved Jesus. So, our experience of unity is like that of the Godhead. The impact of unity is its testimony to the world. And the root of unity is an abiding relationship with Christ. Christ's glory manifests to the world. That's what this prayer is all about that we've looked at for three weeks. The glory of Christ shines in us as we are rightly related to him and to others. The glory of Christ shines in and through us as we are rightly related to him and to one another. Jesus is glorious. We see that glory. We seek to bring him glory. And then he gives us his glory so that others may see his glory in us. And it transforms us. All the way back to the beginning now. His glory transforms us into the people that he's called us to be. A fitting conclusion to this message is actually a verse in, by Paul in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, his Spirit. Let me read that one more time. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We, who all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is His Spirit. I pray that that's true of us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word we thank you that you do indeed, by the power of your Spirit, transform us into the likeness of Christ. Father, may we see that glory, and may others see that glory in us, that Jesus is exalted, and that it is very clear that Jesus is exalted because of our unity in him, that the world may know that Jesus is Lord and Savior and God and that we are a unique people because you love us in a unique way in our relationship with Christ. Father, may these truths, may these realities motivate us this week, encourage us this week, stimulate us this week to be the people that you have called us to be and to continue to grow 
in our relationship with you that the world may know Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.